to live in the last days. Uh, most of us believe that we have to have some kind of, um, uh, we, we need to have the understanding of Matthew 24 and 25 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 to really get into know the, how to live in the last days. That might be true. There's definitely, that is the word of God. We definitely need to have a handle on it. But the Bible also tells us that to live in the last days, we're to have good doctrine and good deeds. That's often misunderstood, in the, especially with the prophecy, understanding of prophecy, understanding of the last days. We often forget that the Lord tells us to live in those days. We have to have good doctrine and good deeds. We're not to just abandon, the Lord is coming, run to the hills and let's not meet and see you at the rapture and uh, uh, we're going to just live this isolated life because we're going to shoot it out with the FBI and uh, you know, the end is coming. And there are Christians who live in that type of mentality, who isolate and become uh, even hostile to the body of Christ because they think that there's, there's no hope, we just got to end it all and you know, we just have to go up to the mountain and dress in white and see Jesus coming and, and that's it. But the reality of the matter is that in light of that, this is what we're to do. And this is what Titus is about. In light of the return of Jesus, we're to have two things, good doctrine and good works. And if those things are missing in our lives, we have to reevaluate what we believed. Is it sound? Is it good? Has it brought any fruit in our lives? And what kind of fruit has it brought in? And so we have to be careful that we don't just saturate our lives with just end time stuff that is valid, is true. We obviously emphasize it here, but without emphasizing the other side of it. We are to live, as Peter will tell us, like pilgrims in this world, but we are to continually have fervent love for each other, be fervent in prayer, uh, be fervent in fellowship, and not to deny the fellowship of one another because these are the last days. It's almost counterintuitive. We think last days, everybody scatter. Everybody run to the hills and meet, you know, see you at home. In fact, the, God, the Lord says, when you see these things coming, we're to lift up our head. Lift up your head. Lift up our head. Redemption draws near. We're to continue to look for the Lord's return. Uh, but in light of that, I brought this hymn. I want you to look at this hymn. It's up on the screen. It's by Horatius Bonar back in the 1800s, great hymn writer. And he wrote this hymn called Fill My Heart, O God. Fill My Heart, O God. Is it up there yet? Oh, you can't see it, but I'll read it to you, unless you have really good vision. Fill that my life, O Lord my God, with every part with praise, that my whole being may proclaim thy being in thy ways, not for the lip of praise alone, nor even the praising heart. I ask for a life made up of praise in every part. Now listen to this last part. Praise in the common words I speak, life's common looks and tones, in intercourse at hearth or board, with my beloved ones, enduring wrong, reproach or loss, with sweet and steadfast will, loving and blessing those who hate, returning good, for ill. Now, I know that sometimes we may need a dictionary to um, really understand what these guys said in the 1800s. I think our English has really brought down low uh, to the point where we, is that English? Yes, it is English. Uh, we've lost some of it already. Um, yeah, I'm sure, uh, um, you know, some, some rap star didn't write this, you know, but uh, Horatio Bonner had a great handle of the English language, but he had a great heart for the Lord. What the song is basically saying, don't let me just be someone who has the knowledge of the Word of God, but somebody that can take the Word of God, live in praise at home. That word hearth, and bo hearth or board is the word for home. In my home, enduring reproach, wrong reproach or loss, with sweet and steadfast will, loving and blessing those who hate, returning good for ill. And this is what the book of Titus is about. So if you're there in Titus chapter 2, this reminds us that we are to live with good doctrine and good works in the home. Let's go to the next slide. The relationship between good doctrine, sound doctrine, the word is healthy, and good works in the home. This is all about good doctrine and good deeds in the home. Okay, very important. It begins there. Christianity begins at home. It does not begin 
in a fellowship necessarily like this. It begins at home. If Christianity has, um, if your Christianity is not valid at home, it will bring no good to a fellowship like us here tonight. You understand what I'm saying? That if your Christianity is not valid at home, that means if it's no good, if it's fake or if it's not bearing fruit, it brings no good to come here on a Sunday or on a Wednesday and pretend like if it's good. If it's not good at home, it's not good at all. And that is a tough test. Because at home, it's the real test. At home is the real test of how our faith is. We all come on Sundays and Wednesdays with, uh, you know, we, we, we wear nice clothes and um, we come and we gather and, you know, we have our good moments and we come for about an hour to two hours on a certain day of the week and then we go home and we spend a lot, of more, uh, lot more time at home. People know us better at home. Uh, they know us when we're tired. They know us when we're grumpy. They know us when we are hungry, which usually correlates to grumpy, at least for me. And um, they know us much better than we know somebody just on a Sunday morning. That's why Christianity begins at home. And if it's not good at home, it's not good at all. And it's a real test for elders and teachers and pastors that if that's not the place where it starts, it really has no value in a fellowship setting like this. You may be able to talk very well and know the things very well, but if it's not practiced, especially at home, then it's not good at all. In fact, we could say this fellowship is only as strong as the weakest family. This fellowship is only as strong as the weakest family. Uh, were you talking about me? <laughs> I said, I don't know, but uh, I know I'm weak. I know there are times where I need a lot of prayer and things at home are not going right. And um, people may not know it, but uh, um, you know, I don't walk around with a sad face because I know the Lord's got it. But it's, it's, there's some difficult times. None of us are immune to it. But we just steadfast, with steadfast will, with steadfast uh, continue in the work of the Lord because we know he's got it. We know he's going to work it out. If I'm humble and I continue to seek him, he'll do it. Let's look at verse 1. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. The word but, B-U-T there. This is not a junior high class. Everybody would be laughing, right? Uh, the word but there is, uh, I'll save you some time on Bible college and Bible understanding and hermeneutics. When you see the word but, it contradicts whatever follows the word but, it's going to contradict what went before the word but. Let me give you an example. Prior to chapter 2, the end of chapter 1, it's talking about those who are defiled, those who are conscience are defiled, those who profess to know God, in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, disqualified for every good work, but now he's going to continue, but with the opposite of what he just said. Okay? Got that? Simple. All right? Just look at that in the Bible. But God, remember those verses? But God in his mercy. But God. He is going to compare God to the opposite of what he just described. Unfaithful man. But God, who's faithful. See, the very aspect of Paul's letters. But always contradicts what happened in the previous to the word but is going to be contradicted by what is going to follow. The false teachers are going to be contrasted to Timothy. But for you. See, here we go. You're not like those teachers. You're not like those who have defiled minds, those who have a defiled conscience. But for you, speak the things that are proper for sound doctrine, sound, healthy. You need to speak sound, healthy doctrine. Why? Remember, false teachings disrupt the homes. And this is a whole about the home. False teachings disrupt home, divide families, causes chaos. Sound teaching is supposed to do the opposite, brings family together. I'm talking about believing families, of course. Uh, in, in any case, if you live with unbelievers, it's, there's always going to be an aspect of uh, disunity, of course, light and darkness. There's going to be an aspect of uh, not seeing eye to eye. There's always going to be a friction because of the gospel. But he's talking about sound teaching, sound doctrine, which eventually, even if you live with nonbelievers, the Lord tells us to live at peace with them. To, do, to, to bless them and to pray for them and to do good to them. And this is the, this is the point of, 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 of Titus here, is that he is going to teach about sound doctrine in the home, that older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love and patience. Now let's look at that one. 
because he's going to talk about older men, older women, younger women, younger men. Four different groups and slaves. Fifth different group, but that's later on in chapter, uh, in, I'm sorry, in verse 10, verse 9 and 10. Older men. Here the word is about an elder, but it's not talking about somebody who has a title of an elder or an office of an elder, but he's talking about those who are aged, those who are of age, usually in the 60s. Late 50s, early 60s was considered in the Greek time somebody who was an elder, somebody who was older, an older man. Not to behave like younger men. That's the point. Older men are not to behave like younger men. Uh, there's a... Um, there is an embarrassment when older men begin to behave childish, not childlike. Childlike is good. Jesus told us to have childlike faith, but childish. And I've seen that before where they're trying to capture their, old, their, their younger days, and they, and they become silly. They become almost out of place in their uh, behavior. Here Paul is talking about the elder men, or the older men are to be, uh, to be grown up, to be mature. Uh, this fellowship, we need the older men to be mature. Uh, who's the oldest one in this room? Brother Phil, all right. Brother Roy. If you see them skateboarding outside, that might be fun and silly, but it may not bring a lot of edification to the body if that's really all they're telling us to do. Maybe a stunt or something. But, um, but when you get to the point, they should be serious about their faith. Especially when they get older, there's a seriousness that comes with growing up. You realize life is not as easy as you thought when you were 20. You realize that it's not all fun and games, staying up late and making fart sounds and eating Cheetos in a beanbag and staying up and watching Mighty Python or whatever it is that you guys were watching. You realize that it's a lot more serious than what we used to think. And so older men are to be... Sober. The word sober there has to do with um, moderate, not sowing their wild oath, uh, not having his second childhood, not uh, having this, uh, this idea that they're going to become this young person again and become childish in their behavior. The idea has to do with strong, like, like wine, a strong drink. There to be a moderation of it. They're not to become so wild on one end that they become intoxicated with their youth. Uh, you realize the past is the past, and I'm to live forward and be a, an example now. And, and that's hard for a lot of men, especially in our day and age. When, you know, they, they take all these supplements and all these things. Relive your youth. There's a reason why nature uh, make us, they, it, it's supposed to be like that. We become more interested in the seriousness of life. And if you talk to uh, older men who are serious about the Lord, they don't really talk about much about... Um, you know, things that we used to talk about in, their, in our 20s, or uh, we, they realize that there's a seriousness of our faith. Not that they're sour, but there's a seriousness and a maturity about it. Why? They have less years to live, and they realize how brief it is, and that we need to get busy about the Lord's work. That's, how, that's what Titus is trying to say. Uh, the, the word reverent, it's, it's the opposite of silliness. We really, really want um, older men to be silly in our fellowship. Okay, and what I mean by that is that, that they can't, of course they can tell jokes and have a sense of humor. That's not the point. The point is that there's to be a seriousness and a maturity um, not, to be, um, not to be silly, not to be um, irreverent about life. They understand the seriousness of life. Uh, it also, the word uh, for temperate here, temperate and sound in faith, um, reckless is the word. They're not to be reckless. They're to have a temperance about life. They don't rush into things like we used to in, their, in our 20s. Um, and that's the aspect of youth that it's, it's so, so real in our lives. It's youth is it's, uh, you know, it's reckless, it's, it's rash, it's, it's, we make decisions without thinking. And I remember quite well in my 20s. And I wonder, how did I make it? How in the world did I make it? Well, thank God for older men, right? I had older men that were around me and told me, hey, you're being silly. Stop. Hey, that's not how we're to behave. That's not of the Lord. And surely I didn't like it, but I realized how important it was to be more serious, more serious about our faith. And so Titus is talking about the older men. This is how the older men are to be in the church, in the home. And it comes with the years of experience, right? 
years of experience. Um, Roy, I guess you can say that you're not as silly as you were in your, uh, you were in your 20s. You're getting there. You're getting there. Temperance, right? <laughs> and they need to have that understanding. And, and it is true. Younger men in the fellowship need older men as examples. It's very, very true. Uh, they're to be sound in the faith and love and patience or steadfastness. Um, they're to, their faith needs to grow and their love needs to be not just emotional, but a real love. And their, and their, uh, and their patience needs to be um, needs to be continual, not stubbornness. Some people think steadfastness or patience is stubbornness. But steadfastness is it's basically patience. They're patient and they continue on with the Lord. And there are good examples of that in our fellowship, and we praise God for that. But it's the opposite of youth, okay? If you're young, you're young. If you're older, you're older. We have to accept the reality of where we are and how God sees us and how God can use us. Older men and younger men can be used by the Lord equally in different ways. Uh, younger men, because of our, um, I guess, our age, we can handle more things physically. Older men, not so much. But they can instruct us, they can teach us, they can show us, they can show us patience, they can show us a temperance of life, and we can learn a lot from it. So a lot of times as older men, I've talked to a lot of older men in, our, in, in my walk with the Lord, that they feel uh, not being useful for the Lord because they're old. They just can't do those things. And I said, well, your, your role has changed in ministry. Uh, you can't go out as much anymore. You can't stay up 12, 1 in the morning going out witnessing like we used to. <laughs> But now your role is to teach and to be an example. And the examples here is for older men to be in that type of behavior. Now let's look at older women. Older women. And this is a neat, neat thing that we're going to talk about today, maybe a little more uh, detail. There are to be older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior. Reverent a behavior. The word, unbelievably enough, it means a priestesses, a priestesses. Somebody who is in the priesthood, but it's a woman. Now, this is to contradict the women priesthood of the pagans. Okay? The women priesthood of the pagans were usually prostitutes. They were in the pagan temples of Aphrodite. They were in the temple uh, in Corinthians. They were very much, pretty much pagan prostitutes. The Christian women are to be priestesses. They're to be priests of the home almost the same way as a man, but in this case, they're ministering to younger women. Look what it says. They're to be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given too much wine, teachers of good, that they admonish the younger women. Now, this is a very important part of ministry. This is one point of ministry that needs to be taken very serious. It's, this, it's that older women have as much part of ministry as anyone in the fellowship is actually um, very direct in the scriptures here, this ministry. And so we have to pay attention to it because Titus and Paul, uh, here Paul is writing to Titus, is describing a ministry that is very vital for the church. Another ministry that is vital for the church is to widows. Is to widows. You read that in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Widows, ministering to widows, and those widows who are truly widows are to be ministers in the church. Now, here's one example where uh, women here are talked about, older women, they are to be reverent. They are to be reverent. The idea is um, holy, like a priest, like a priest, holy like a priest. Older women are to be reverent in behavior, the opposite of the pagan priestesses of the temples. They're not to be slanderers. Now, the word there is diabolos, diabolos, sounds like diablo. And in Spanish, it's the same as the Greek, devil. It's the devil. It's the accuser of the brethren. In one hand, the older women are to be holy, like a holy priesthood. It's the word, actually, word uh, hagios, to be holy. Um, in the opposite sense, now, they're not to be like the devil. So it goes from one extreme to the other. The word slander there is to, basically, you imitate the devil when you slander. The word has to do with um, gossip. Um, to the point in the, in, in, the, in the context of Titus, the false teachers were using women, just like in Timothy, to be their spokesperson, to be the mouth of the false teachers from house to house. They would use the women. And one of the ways they would do it is to propagate their false teachings through the women who tend to be more loquacious than men. 
tend to be more talkative. And when you talk more, there is a, there's a, a measure of sin that can come with that if you're not careful. Amen? Now, not that men are to be quiet and grumpy and just sit in the back. There are plenty of men who are very loquacious. Um, I happen to be maybe one of them, especially back here. But um, with much talking, there is a bigger chance of gossip, right? As women tend to get older, they have more experience, they know more things, the enemy can use it. Those experiences, the enemy can use it to begin to be a slander, to begin to critique and to gossip everybody around. And because they have more time in the culture, they weren't really out and about working as much as men. They had more time to be in the home and to, cut up, to get caught up with the business of the island. Remember, this is Crete. So the false teachers would grab to that effect, and they would go to the homes, and they would go and propagate the false teachings in the home. I don't know how many times I've talked to family. How did you get into the Watchtower? How did you get into Mormonism? How did the Christian scientists get into your house? Oh, my mom, she was home, and they came, and they gave her this leaflet, and they gave this pamphlet. The next minute, we were at the temple or at the, at the, at the kingdom hall. Uh, ask Ivan. He's not here. How did he get, his family get into the Jehovah's Witness? His mom. Because of the proximity in the home, because of the fact that they're home, False teachers can get into the home and they seduce them and they can take weak women, the first Timothy talked about, and they can seduce them into false teachings. Well, here, Titus is saying the older women need to be reverent and they need to be not slanderers. They can get into slander because that's the opposite of what the false teachers were using the women. The, 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 for, the false teachers were using the women to propagate their false teachings. Here, Titus is saying, older women, don't get into this. It's a very dangerous road to get into. Diabolos, remember, just the, just the word alone could tell you where that's going. It's very destructive. Uh, they're to be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given too much wine. Here the idea was women tend to use alcohol to remember their past, remember their youth. They want to behave like when they were in their 20s, uh, especially in the island of Crete. Remember, they were drunkards, they were gluttons. That, that was the, the culture of the time. Women tended to use strong drink to pretend they were like in their 20s. But you're not in your 20s. You may be in your 60s. Don't act like you're 20 and grab onto wine to make you feel like the, age, the time is passing and you need to hang on to it. That's how he was using that culture. Hanging on to your youth was through wine, through strong drink. And you see that today. Um, I happen to be at the um, uh, College World Series, High School World Series of softball, and you see all these older ladies, and a lot of them are, are drinking, and a lot of them are, they think they're, they're, they're in their 30s. And it's like, not giving too much wine, is <laughs> what I kept thinking. Not giving too much wine, but that's what tends to happen. Now, uh, there are to be teachers of good things. We're going to come back to that because there's a point, a key point of the, of the passage here, what they're to teach and who is to teach. Now, here in this passage, is they are to teach. There'll be teachers of good and verse 4, so we're going to come back to that. You can highlight that, write that down. I have to do it myself because we're going to come back to that. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. Now, this is a very, very important part. There are, in, uh, right now in, under this roof, younger women with children. There are older women with children. Tend to be a little older children. And there are single women here in this fellowship. Okay. Uh, different aspects of it. The older women are to teach the younger women how to love their husbands and love their children. What do you think that's there for? Now, one thing is for sure, the word admonish there, the idea there is that they are to train them. They are to be trained on how to love their husbands and how to love their children. There is an aspect of loving and learning to love your husband and your children that it's not so easy when you're younger. When you're older, you've gone through it already. You've gone through the five-year, the 10-year, 15-year, 20, whatever it is now that you're on. Um, and it's I'm not saying it gets easier, but you learn how to love them now that the years have passed. And now it's not this... I'm in love with love anymore. 
now I'm in love with the person. Now I love them despite all their faults and difficult things that they put me through. I still love them. Well, a younger woman doesn't know that yet. Maybe they're still in their first year of marriage. Brad and Trish are going to get married pretty soon. And uh, amen, right? Uh-oh. Anyway, uh, I put that on them. Now, uh, Aurora's going to get married pretty soon. She's back with the children, right? Um, they're going to have to learn how to love their husbands. There'll they'll come a point in time, not mention any names, that uh, she may have a hard time loving, not mentioning any names. Um, but that's not to get scared about or run away from the marriage and say, I don't want that to happen. Um, because an older woman can come alongside Trish and says, you know what, it's true. There are days like that. But you're not to give up. You're to learn how to love them and how to love your children. Well, that may seem kind of unusual. I love, I love my children. Try to be at home with them for an extended period of time. My wife's not here yet, but she will be here. Um, she oftentimes wants to pawn them off on me. Just take them. Take them anywhere. <laughs> just, just not here. Um, amen. amen. <laughs> I knew the study would be hitting home. No pun intended, hitting home. Um, but they need to learn how to love their husbands and love their children, despite of how they feel. Because love in our society has become an emotional froth, it's an emotional thing. We, we, we think that love is something that either you have it or you don't, right? That, that's really how our society makes us out to be. You either have it or you don't have it. You either fall out of love or you fall in love. Um, I, I never learned, I never understood fall out of love. I, I, I don't understand that. I, I, you fall out. Are you okay? Did something happen? You, who broke the fall? And how did that happen? And uh, the word love there has to do with um, just the will. You will to love them. You, you love them because you're committed to them. And many times in counseling women and counseling men, uh, the idea of love becomes an emotion. I don't, I'm not emotionally attached to them anymore. And I just don't feel that God wants me to love them anymore. And, and God is leading me to love this other man, you know, and, or God put her in my life, and I feel like God is leading me to her, and all this kind of stuff, all because of emotion, all based on emotion. They can never, you try to get them on facts and truth, and never. It's all emotion. It's all how they feel, and, and it's, it's, it's way out there, and it's never based on reason or facts or logic or anything. It's all based on emotion. So here... Paul is reminding the older women to have a ministry, to have a ministry. This is an important ministry in the church, to have older women teach younger women to love their husbands and love their children. Now, here's one important part. I've never done any of those things. I've never had a husband. I never, had a, I never actually uh, birthed any children. I've never been an older woman. Um, I wouldn't know how to do it from experience. I'd never known how to do it from experience because I'd never been that. And so the older women have the capacity, more than anyone here in this room, to teach younger women how to do those things. Love their husbands after many years and love their children after many years. And from experience, they can teach the younger women how to do it. It's an important ministry. Um, love is something that is worked on. It's developed. It is something God gives you by faithfulness. You want to have the feelings? Go back and do your first works. Go back and do your first things God called you to do, to be a godly wife. If you do that, then the feelings come. But many times, the feelings are not there. What do you do when the feelings are not there? You abandon ship. You go and, okay, that didn't work. And you go from emotion to emotion to emotion to emotion. That's what a lot of marriages have trouble because it's built on emotion. Remove the emotion. Bring in the word of God. Just bring in faithfulness and just bring in obedience. You know what happens? The feelings come back. <laughs> the, the true feelings come back once you begin to apply the things that God told you to do. Now, many times, many times it's sitting across the room from a marriage counseling and they go, I don't feel it's love. I don't think it's love. And then you just tell them, just do what the word of God says. Just do it. Just do what it says. 
and they come back, oh, I love my husband. It's like a different marriage. It's like, what happened? We just began to do the things that God called us to do. And it sounds so simplistic. Oh, pastor, you don't know the trouble that this man puts me under. This woman is driving me nuts. You know, it, but you don't, it's, it's emotion. Again, remove the emotion. Bring in the word of God. It says to train, train to love your husband and train to love your children. It's something that you can be trained to do. That sounds so crude, right, in our lives. We feel like it has to have some emotion. Um, well, remember when the Lord says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself, it's something you're commanded to do. It's not something you feel. You know, we're so much about feelings in our day and age that sometimes uh, I, I just can't stand it. I just, it's all feelings. And, and I said, ah, we have become a hyper-emotional society. And therefore, we have all these problems. And uh, um, we have to get back to the Word of God as a nation, as a, as a family, as a, individuals, and stop leaning on our feelings. Now, are feelings good? God gave them to us. It's not that it's bad. They're just not meant to be your master. You have one master, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not your masters. Your, your, um, uh, your emotions are not your masters. And sometimes they master you if you let them, if you allow them to become what you lean on all the time. You, you be, it becomes your escape. I just feel it's God. And you go this way, and it's, and it's not God. It, it totally violated the word of God there. And, um, but anyway, we'll come back to that in a moment. To be discreet, to be sensible, to be chaste, to be homemakers. Now, this is very interesting. Go to the next slide. Homemakers. Um, I've been reading, doing some reading. I've been doing some reading. Uh, this is going to be part of a prophecy update at some point in the next 10 years when I get done with the, the research. Um, Jack Haberstream, her name is Judith, but she goes by Jack. She wrote this book. It's called Female Masculinity. She is from USC. She's from USC. And uh, another lady, Judith Butler, wrote a book called Gender Trouble. And uh, she's from UC Berkeley. Love them uh, northern cows. Uh, not the Southern Cal has anything to do with it, right? The USC, UC Berkeley, very liberal. Gender masculinity, uh, gender trouble, I'm sorry, and female masculinity. Um, I won't get the cat out of the bag or anything like that. We'll, we'll read that later on. But these are two very influential books that are coming into mainstream. They are in mainstream already to some degree, but only in academics. Uh, it'll become more mainstream later, and, and we're going to see it where there's going to be a blur of what a, a woman's supposed to be like. This, uh, this Judith, uh, what is her last name? Haberstring. She goes by Jack because she dresses like Jack, and sometimes she dresses like Judith. And she has this sort of a dual sort of a, uh, relationship. She sometimes feels like a man, sometimes she feels like a woman. Um, it kind of reminds me of Almond Joy commercials, yeah. but um, that is, it's, it's what she, what she senses is that that is how she's supposed to feel like. Sometimes I feel like a man and sometimes I feel like a woman. And you're not supposed to, uh, you're supposed to embrace that because it's a liberation. It's what female libertarianism is, it's causing, it's, it's the end result of feminism. It's the end result, if you follow feminism to its logical conclusion, you end up with a book like that. Female masculinity, where the, the, the roles of women and men are blurred. What a man can do, a woman can do. What a woman can do, a man can do. And of course, I always say it's better. Okay, So it's always better. And then gender trouble. Um, who you are, your identity, it's not based on female or male, but it's supposed to be like a neutral. You, you could be neutral. You don't have to be female or male. You can just be you. You can just be, it's a, it's a subversion of the God-given roles. Everything's getting blurred, but you'll see that. We'll talk about that later. Why did I bring that up? Because of this verse that has caused so much trouble. The Bible causes so much trouble in society uh, for the good, but not if you don't believe the Bible. Uh, this Bible says, my Bible says, homemakers, uh, the workers of the home. The word of God says to the younger women that they are to be taught by the older women to be uh, chaste, to be discreet, to be homemakers. That's it. I'm out of here, they would say. 
you're just, you're just trying to make the women go back to the 1940s and 50s. Homemakers, ha, right? <laughs> what's, that, what's that? Good times. That was not a bad time, right? That was a good time. Um, that's what you're trying to make them be. Come on, you gotta, you're putting them back under you know, um, slavery and you're not gonna give them the right to vote. Or, of course, they always try to subvert the real issue. The real issue is that uh, the home, the godly home, got to set up a structure of a godly home. What is the structure of a godly home that the younger women learn from the older women how to do, love their husbands, love their children, be discreet, chaste, and a homemaker, a domestic homemaker. That's what the word is. It's somebody that works in the home. What are they trying to do? Build a home. The, the whole point is build a home. Who is better to build a home, a man or a woman? The Bible says a woman. A man is to provide, protect, <coughs> give direction, but the builder of the home is the woman. Why? Because she is to love their husbands and love their children. Where, are, where, where does the, the, the husband and the child live and the children live? In the home. The woman is responsible to build a home to be a godly home. And so she's, the, she's domestic in that sense. Now, some people would take this and very much a slap in the face to women's lib, uh, and they would say that we're out of touch uh, and, and we're puritanical and tried to be, you know, bring back women to the 1800s, but don't let society dictate what the scripture says. The Bible says here that women are to be homemakers. Now, in our society, we have a, a, a whole set of problems, right? Uh, there are women who are single parents. There are women who are widows. They're women who have gone through divorce, and that just, it's not, they're not going to be able to do that because they have to go to work. They have to work and support their home. Of course, this is describing a situation where there's a husband, and there's a wife, and children. I talk to single women in the Lord, and, uh, or widows, and they, love the, they would love the fact to stay at home and raise their kids. They do that, but they can't. They have to go to work. So this is not imposing a, a rule that if you don't do this, you're bad, or if you don't do this, you're not in the will of God. This is describing the home, the structure of the home that God wants because it's the family. It's the family that God is it, it's, it's taking care of here. It's the focus is the home. The homemaker um, is the woman. It's the highest calling of women is to be the ministers of the home. Now, think of, think of homes as uh, having a pastor. Like the husband's a pastor, the, the woman, the, the wife is the deacon of the home. She's the one to make sure that the home is right, that the home is set up for godliness. And so how do we love our husbands? How do we love our kids? How do we deal with the things of the house? These are all to be taught by older women. And it's very specifically that the older women have that experience and they'll be able to teach younger women how to do that. And so the first calling of a godly woman is to build a home. Now, it's very natural for women to do that, believe it or not. When we got married, my wife and I, she just, we got, we moved in, and she wanted to set up the house. She had these ideas. She wanted to paint this and move that and remove that and, and remove this room and remove that. And it was like, we just moved in, and you got 15 projects. I said, I just wanted a house. I just wanted to go in and go to sleep and come back and go to work and eat. But she had all these ideas. Why? She had begun to build a home. And I'm not just talking about moving walls and painting. I'm talking about she wanted to set up the home. And we can have devotion here, and we can read here, and we can. And so she had this idea of a home. And it's very natural for women to do that. I've talked to a lot of them, and that's really what they want. They want to move in, and whether it's in a one-bedroom apartment or a three-bedroom house, they have this desire to build a home, to, to have children, and to have uh, a desire to, 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 to be pleasing to their husbands. So many pastors and Christian workers um, are thankful for a wife that can set up the home, that when a husband come home, comes home, the house is, you don't have to worry about the house and what the, the situation is going to be at the house. Why? Because the home is being built by someone who's faithful. But they have to learn it. This is the point. They have to learn how to do that. It's not automatic. I got it. It's done. They have to learn how to do that. They're to be build a home. Uh, they're to be good. They're to be obedient to their husbands. That's it. Let's go. This is not practical Christianity. Remember, it begins in the home. 
why all this here? Um, because God's pattern for the home, and if you want the happiest place on earth, is not Disneyland. The happiest place on earth is a godly home. If you want a godly home, listen to what God says. How many of us have gotten in trouble and built the wrong foundation at some point in our home when we fail to listen and do what God said? And in so many times, I mean, I've talked to many marriages and, 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 and different marriages that have uh, both husband and wife working together. And they work and they work and they work. You know who suffers? Everybody in the house suffers. Yeah, they have the, they have the second home. They have the big bear um, you know, cabin. They have three boats. And they have, you know, they have it. But they have no peace. They have a difficult time with their children. And I tell them, is this worth it? Is it really, really, is this not worth it? At the end of the day, come on, just level with me. Is it really worth it? You know, overwhelmingly. Now, some are stubborn. They tell me, yeah, it's worth it. No. But overwhelmingly, they say, you know what? If I had to do it again, I would have stayed home. Some women that I've talked to regret that they worked through the year. and They miss so much of their kid's life. Now, this is, I'm just referring to the fact that if you can, if you can, if you can, Stay home. If you can, do what God says. Be a builder of the home. Be, if you don't like the word homemaker, I'll just use the other word. Be a builder of the home. Be, be a builder of a godly home. I know sometimes it's not possible. Husband is sick, can't work. Single mom, widow. I know God has mercy and grace in that. Don't get me wrong. This is not a do else or, or, or not. This is a, the pattern of a godly home. Be submissive to their husbands. Now, we can talk about that all night and how that works and how that plays out. But you know who's the best teacher at that? Older women. Older women are the best teachers at that. For one, they know what it's like. Two, they've been there and they have the experience. And so um, older women in our fellowship, you have a ministry. You're welcome to have a ministry. So, Susie, Carol, what a ministry. And there's a whole lot of ladies in this fellowship that can use the wisdom and can use the, uh, the experience that the Lord has given you. So tomorrow you guys are teaching a Bible study for younger women. No, I wish. Um, but honestly, it is a necessary thing. Don't shy away from it. It's a whole ministry. It's a whole, I mean, you're talking about a vital ministry and a whole lot of questions. And a whole lot of um, enthusiasm uh, is for younger women to learn from godly, godly older women uh, a God's pattern, harmony, partnership in the home. Remember, submission here has nothing to do with one is better than the other. It's not superiority. It's submission. Now, here is not talking about submission as unto uh, a slave. Here, the, the idea of submission is reverence. Basically, they're coming... Uh, husbands are to lead the home in a godly way and through their love and affection and servant leadership uh, the wife submits to that authority that's been given by the Lord remember the head of Christ is God the head of every man is Christ and the head of every woman is her husband like we can fight against that all we can all we want but God's pattern of the home is that husband are to lead and there's a whole lot of questions that I can't answer today. What happens when he's not leading? A whole lot of questions. We'll have a seminar on that because that's a whole other six weeks of stuff. Uh, but the, the, the pattern of the husband is to be the pastor of the home. Now, what would happen to this church if I forgot or I failed or I just didn't care to lead and to pray and to seek the Lord? I'm not going to show up today. It's, I know it's Wednesday, but... I'm tired. I don't want to come. I'm not going to lead today. Somebody else can do it. Now, imagine if that was the, the pattern of the church. Yeah. Is the pastor coming on Sunday? I don't know. He hasn't been here in a couple of weeks. And sometimes, and I think of that. Think how silly that sounds. But how many husbands are checked out like that at home? I'm not saying that they don't come home. That's, that's a difficult case. But sometimes they're there, but they're not there. Not leading, not praying, not seeking the Lord not leading his wife. Now, what would happen to this church? And not too long from that point, Satan can come in and begin to disrupt. Some guy might show up one day. <laughs> he says, you don't have a pastor. 
let me teach and give you all kinds of spiel and all kinds of stuff. Well, what could happen in a home is the enemy can do the same thing. Begin to sow seeds of discord and, and jealousies and pull each other apart. Why? The husband's not leading. And so submission has to do with that. Submission has to do submission to a godly leader, a godly man, a godly, uh, a godly husband that can lead the home. And women usually tend to be very submissive to that uh, God-given authority. And remember, the authority is not to subvert women and to push them down, but it's to lead. It's to lovingly servant, like a servant leader. That's the, that's the pattern of a husband, a servant leader of the home. And because of that, they're able to lead. Because of that, they're able to lead. And because of that, wives submit to their husbands and as unto the Lord. Okay, for protection, for leadership, for uh, provision. That's what a husband is to be like. He's not the boss. He is the servant. Amen? He's not the boss, <laughs> but he's the servant. What did Jesus say about if you want to be the greatest, be the least? Be the servant of all. If Jesus did it and it worked out pretty well, right? His example works pretty well. Then we're to imitate him, and his example is it's great. His example to all men, to all husbands. If you want to be the greatest, be the least. Be the servant of all. So the husband is to lead through servant leadership. That's the style of the church, by the way. Servant leadership. Home, servant leadership. So husbands, servant leadership. You want to lead? Serve. Sounds counterintuitive, huh? <laughs> you want to lead in this church? Grab a broom. Grab a bucket. Start cleaning, right? You want to lead in the home? Be a servant. That's how God sees it. And in that case, man, it's a beautiful place where women can feel that they are loved, that they're cared for, that they're provided for. And I find it very hard to believe by experience and the word, of course, where women don't submit to that. They love to because it's God given to them as a provision for protection, right? For leadership. We can go on for a while, and I'm not going to keep you here that long tonight. Um, but let's keep going because that's they are to do that. Verse uh, the end of verse five that the word of God may not be blasphemed. There's a purpose in that. The purpose of having a godly home is that the enemies of the Lord, the enemies of the gospel, people that look from the outside in, may not criticize or blaspheme the word of God because it's being lived out at home. Remember, the point is, is Christianity lived at home. Is Christianity lived in your home? Is that livable? Is that practical? Is that visible? Uh, if somebody moved into your house, can they see that you're a believer? Because that's where you really see Christianity. It's at home. Now, in verse 6, it says, Likewise, exhort young men to be sober-minded. Only one thing said about young men to be sober-minded. The idea is to be in control of yourself. To be in control of yourself. Uh, and why is that said about younger, women, younger men? Is this. When you're young and you're a man, when I was in my 20s, I'm closer, well, next year I'll be 40, so I'm halfway there. Um, I wanted to conquer it all. I knew it all. And I wanted to conquer it all. But if there's one thing I had not mastered, myself. I was led away by various lusts and passions, and I'd never mastered who I was. I wanted to master everything else. Oh, I can change that, and I can change this, and that thing should be like this. But I failed to look at me and say, why am I like that? And it wasn't until I came to, even, even once I came to the Lord, it was like, well, this needs fixing, and needs that fixing, and why isn't, why isn't things done right? Well, things needed to get right here. And you need to have sober-minded. You need to be in control of yourself. Know yourself well. Know yourself well enough to put boundaries on yourself. If you have a quick temper, okay, know that. <laughs> know that and be careful with it. If you have a great passion for something, that leads to anger. Many times you need to know that. You need to know that about yourself. Um, in the book of Proverbs, it tells us, he who rules his spirit is greater than he who takes a city. He who rules his spirit is greater, greater than he who rules a city. Why? If you're in control of yourself, you can conquer it all. If you know yourself, you're able to do a lot more. 
Because you're not led by your own passions that you haven't been able to conquer them. What's, what's the weakest thing you have? Do you know it? Do you know what the weaknesses are in your life? And are you able to confront them with the word of God and able to deal with them? Okay, there, there's, there's some boundaries that we know not to go. I can't go any further than that because I know me, I know myself. Verse 9, I'm sorry, go, jump to verse 9. We're not in verse 9, but we're going to jump to verse 9. Slaves, exhort the bondservants, or slaves, to be obedient to their masters, well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all in good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Here's a good example to slaves, to bondservants. Not to be rebellious, not to be pilfering, not to be stealing. In the, in the ancient times, that was a common thing because of the wages that was very low. They would steal from their masters. Now as Christians, we're not to do that. As Christians, we're not to do that. Um, not answering back. It says that they're to be well-pleasing and not answering back. How is the relationship with your boss at work? Those who work here, how is the relationship with your boss? Uh, we're to be not rebellious, not answering back. Somebody who's not argumentative about things. Uh, and, and to be honest, honest in their work. Now, let's go to the next slide. Here's what we want to get at. Who is to teach? Let's go back to verse 1. Who is to teach? Who is to teach? Titus. Titus is to teach. Look what it says. As for you, speak. Now, here the idea of teaching is not the normal idea of teaching in a pulpit. There's a pulpit. He's to teach. We think of that. But the idea here, speak to the older men, speak to the older women, speak to the younger men. It's the idea that as he is ministering in life, he's to remind them. He's to teach them. He's to go to their homes and teach these things so they could put it into practice in their home. Now, this is a very, very important point. Why? Many times when we teach from here, it becomes less effective because you don't know if people are going to take it home and do it. You preach your heart out. And I shared that with you last Sunday. It's like sometimes when you're sowing the seed, you don't know where the seed's going to land. <laughs> you don't know if it's landing on hard soil, like cement, rocky soil, soil that has a lot of weeds, or a fruitful soil that's going to produce fruit. You don't know that. And many times it's very frustrating. Here's one aspect that Titus says, as you speak, when you speak to them, speak to them in their home, speak to them as they go, speak to them when you meet with them, to the younger, women, to the younger men, to the older men, and to the older women. And there's a reason why. Here's one thing Titus is to do, is to teach to all those three groups except for one group, the younger women. Titus is not to teach to the younger women. Did you see that? Who is to teach to the younger women? We've been saying it all along. The older women. Why is that? Well, you can think of a lot of reasons, right? Right? There's a lot of wisdom in it. Titus can be caught up in uh, temptation and lust and uh, just awkward experiences uh, with younger women who may lead to things we don't want in the church, to some kind of uh, immoral behavior. But also the fact that Titus has never been a woman and Titus never been a homemaker, and Titus never been married to a man, he is to leave that to those who have experience. To the younger women, the older women are the teachers. Okay? Now, that's not to say that they don't come under the submission of the ministry, but those practical things are to be left to the older women. It'll be very, very weird if I had a ministry of young women at my house. All right, if I just, okay, all the single ladies come over to my house and uh, um, we'll have a Bible sessions. Uh, well, Titus wasn't supposed to do that. And, uh, uh, you know, we jokingly talk about it, but it's, it's, it's been the downfall of a lot of ministries where they don't set up the boundaries right. And pastors are allowed to minister to many different kinds of people, including young ladies, young men, I mean, young women, and uh, uh, many of them have gone by the wayside. Many have fallen into serious errors and sins because they never set up the boundaries. Here's one thing that God is very clear. Titus, you teach to the older men, to the older women, and to the younger men. Speak to them. 
leave that aspect of younger women to the older women. They're to teach them. Leave yourself that trouble. Teach them. Let them teach the younger women. Some wisdom in it. Some practical things in it. Of course, they can learn from the, younger, from the older women, but they are to... Uh, Timothy is to do it in such a way that he is to bring the teaching to the house. Go to the next slide, please. I was reading this as I was, I was talking about home Bible studies and home ministries, and we're definitely uh, praying and moving toward that direction in our home, but um, in this fellowship, I should say, to home ministries. But I ran into the story of Richard Baxter. Richard Baxter, a wonderful scholar, wonderful teacher, and... Um, 1600s, right, uh, Jeff? 1600s, 1616, he was born, I think it was something around there. And uh, this wonderful teacher, uh, he had a great ministry, wrote about 150 books, awesome ministry and book writing, but he said the most effective ministry was the ministry he had in the homes. And what he did is that he would get up Mondays and Tuesdays, he would visit every home, every home in a town that he lived in, and he would go from house to house, and he would go into the house, and he wouldn't talk about the weather. He wasn't talking about the latest score, uh, football score. He would go into the home, open his Bible, and begin to teach the families together, the family of the home. He began to teach them the Word of God. And he would leave them with the Word of God. He said, now you guys do it together. And he would go next door to the house, to the, to the next door neighbor, and he would do the same thing, and he would do the same thing, and he would do the same thing. For years and years and years, and it was said of Richard Baxter where he ministered to, before he got there, there was hardly any Christian homes. When he left and he retired, and 20 years later he died and went to be with the Lord, there was hardly homes that were not Christians. By the time it was all done, there were more Christian homes in his town than when he started. And this is a, a very testament of how effective that ministry could be. Remember, Christianity, if it's not lived at home, is not lived at all. It's not of any effect. And he knew that. And therefore, he was able to bring the teaching home. Husbands, you're supposed to do this. Wives, you're supposed to do this. This is what God's word says. Kids, this is what's supposed to be like this. And this is how the home is supposed to work. My, how we need that. And my, how we need to teach our younger teenagers and younger women and men in our fellowship how to do that how to do that, how to have devotion at home, how to be, uh, as teenagers, how to be respectful and honoring your parents, wives, how to respect and honor your husband, women, uh, you know, older women to teach the younger women, men, how to love your wives, men, how to lead in the home, how to pray, how to do devotional. Those are all important things. And if you do it at home, it's very easy to translate it here. But when it's not done at home, you know how hard it is to put the facade here and to pretend like everything is good and when it's not really that good? Well, Paul's point to Timothy was that. Tell the younger men, tell the older women, tell the older men this is what they're to be like. And he's to speak to them. Not to teach to them here, although that happens, but he's to speak to them individually in their homes. How to do that? Oh, there's a whole lot of ministry there. Now, because of the sake of time, we're going to leave it off there, and we'll pick it up next week regarding he's to teach with integrity. There's things about the teacher, Titus. He was supposed to be different than the false teachers. Why was the whole purpose of that is that they do not blaspheme the Lord, that they keep the doctrine of the Lord pure. Because one thing is so important, if you live it at home, they have no room to criticize us. Because when we don't live it at home, it's when the world looks at us and says, this guy, he thinks he's a Christian, but he's far from it. If we were to have a service here where we invited your neighbors, what would they say? Bring Roy's neighbors. They may not like them, but they sure respect them. They may not agree with them, but they may not have anything against them to say because of how he lives his life. But if we were to have our neighbors here, what would we say? What would they say? If, if we talk to your coworkers, we talk to your boss, you know what? They would blaspheme the Lord if, it's, if you're not lived out in, before, the, before them, if you're not living your faith before them, they might blaspheme the Lord. 
They might criticize the word of God. They might criticize the gospel. Oh, man, that thing has no effect in his life. Yeah, he talks about Jesus saves, Jesus saves, but man, he is pilfering me. He is the worst. He's a jerk, whatever it may be. That could be said. And I certainly have uh, run into people in ministry where um, people would tell me, I that guy, he's, he's, a, he's a deacon, but he has a mouth. And he's like, you know, that was one of his coworkers. I will never go to that church where that guy goes. Why? Because he works with me. He's a deacon up there. And I know how he is with the girls at work. And it's like, oh, man. Somebody get a hold of that guy and, and tell him, look, you have to live your faith at home, at work. So difficult. But if it's not lived at home, it's not lived at all. If you don't have a testimony at home, you surely don't have a testimony in the church. And that's so important for us to have from house to house. I think it's important to take our Bibles and from house to house warn, teach, admonish, remind to have a devotional with the family, to keep your family strong. How strong is your family today? How strong is your devotional life with your wife, with your children? How strong is it? Or any at all? That's the point of Titus here. Pastor, I tell you, talk about the last days. Before you even worry about Matthew 24 and 25 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, before you worry about that, start there. Start at home. Because that's where it's real. That's where, and in the, especially in these days, sound doctrine, sound or good works at home. And we need to have those too. We need to have those too, especially with the pressures of this world to, to lead us away from Christ. And more than ever, a Christian man, a Christian husband is to take his authority given by the Lord and take it to heart and say, how am I doing with this? And do I need help? And can somebody help me do it? Raise my hand. Raise your hand. I, I need somebody to come home, come, come to my house and help me to do it. I want to do it. I don't know how to do it. You know what? I have more respect for that man that says, I don't know how to do it. Can somebody teach me? Then somebody who says, well, I, I'm okay. I don't have to don't worry about that. And that's, that's real and that's important. And Titus is all about, uh, it's all about that. Before we even get to Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ, he talks about Christianity in the home. Oh, how important that is. And so when the Lord, when you meet the Lord in the air, when we meet the Lord and we stand before him in the Bema Seat of Christ, you know, he's going to ask us. He's going to test our works. He's going to ask us how we led our home, how we build our home, what we did with our time, our money, our devotion, what we did with all those things. It's both a, a wonderful thought and a scary thought at the same time that we will see the Lord. And his accountability that we have, you know, our accountability to him, is that it's a great accountability. What he gave us, to much is given, much is required. Has the Lord blessed you with a home? Has the Lord blessed you with marriage? Has the Lord blessed you with children? Has the Lord blessed you with all these things? We are personally accountable. And one day we will give account. And we don't mean not think about that too much. But because it's all related to meeting the Lord... The Christianity at home plays a big role. And so let's take it to heart and let's seek the Lord this week of what we need to do. Where do we start? If we're completely lost, it's like, I don't even know where to start. Um, let's pray. Let's talk. Let's meet. Let's uh, talk to some of the guys here that have done it. Talk to me. Talk to Brother Roy. We just need help. It's okay. It's okay to need help. But, we need, it's, it's, but it's more important to do it and to begin that road of discipleship in your home. I have five little disciples at home, plus my wife. Um, I'm going to take something that Jesus said, but I'm going to change it up a little bit for the context. What profits me if I gain the whole world and minister to the whole world and lose my own family? It profits me nothing. It's a heavy-duty thing. Now, I didn't ask for this position. I, I was very happy leaving my kids at home. <laughs> Uh, and, and I like doing that, but now I'm more accountable. Right, five, six, everybody in this fellowship, different accountability. Believe it or not, I'm going to give account for you on that day. So you better behave. No, <laughs> I'm going to give an account. And it's a, both a sobering thought and a happy thought. And I go back and forth sometimes. <laughs> I don't, depending on what day it is, I'm, I'm either thinking about it too much or or just realizing I'm going to meet the Lord, that's good. Um, so 
how we minister, how we hear, how we apply is important. Let's pray. Lord, in Jesus' name, I'm thankful, Lord, for the body here in this ministry that you've given us. Thank you for everyone, Lord, that's here present, the families represented, and Lord, I do pray for their home. I do pray, Lord, that the husbands in this represented here in this fellowship, here, Lord, tonight, would take it to heart, Lord, and to be husbands, godly husbands, godly husbands called by Jesus Christ to be, Lord, leaders of that home, to be the pastor of that home. Lord, I pray for the young men here that are not married and that they would be in control of themselves, that they would know their boundaries, that they would know how to be sober-minded in control of their emotions and their actions and to be masters of, of, of Lord, of their, of, of their emotions. Uh, Lord, I pray for the older women here that they would take it to heart, Lord, to really lead and to really be able to minister to the younger women in this body, Lord. And for the younger women, Lord, that have a task at, at home, to build a home, to raise the children. Lord, it's a difficult task. Lord, we need your grace, and we need each other. And so, Lord, please um, help this body to be not just a show on Wednesdays and Sundays, but a real-life commitment at home. And it will be evident on the days we meet. We thank you, Lord, and we ask you for your Holy Spirit who can make all these things happen, who's the only way that, the only way that can make things happen, Lord, is your Spirit. Please fill us, Lord, and, and give us the brokenness if we have failed to do this, Lord, and you've convicted us. Give us the brokenness, Lord, to forgive, to, to ask you to forgive us and, and give us, Lord, the strength to pick it up and do it again. Um, and Lord, we, we're, we want to be pleasing to you so that the world would know, Lord, that you are real and they would not blaspheme your name. They would not blaspheme the gospel and critique it and, 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 and ridicule it. And so, Lord, we ask you for your strength and courage. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you guys.